Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And is it over? Is it over for this group? Do we have to rebuild now? I mean, I think since Zach basically shadow requested a trade and it came out as like mutual, that it kind of feels like, yeah, this is it. Like they're not going to recover as this team from this type of thing. But now they're 5-11 and 11 as well. And I think with every loss, you know, further and further away from, you know, competing even from the play-in, you know, Toronto at 7-8 and eight is 10th right now. So you're already two and a half games back from 10th. <laughs> Pretty early spot in the season. Uh, the further and further away you get from that, the more you feel like, yeah, this is just it. And the fan base is basically revolting now. And so I think Acme is going to be pressured to do something. One of the things I've said is it feels like this team has played very poorly and they've also not really had much of a tough schedule. Like, this is like an easy part of the schedule. But I'm kind of wondering a little bit, to be fair, just to be fair, maybe that's a little anchored to where we thought teams would be, and maybe not so anchored to where teams actually are. They've had 16 games, so two against or, uh, Oklahoma City, who's second in the West, two against the Magic and the Heat, who are third and fourth, in the East, um, they've had a game against the Suns, who are fifth in the West. They've had a game against Denver, who's fourth in the West. Uh, they had one against Milwaukee, who's second in the East. And so, I don't know, how many games did I just named there? Is that like nine, nine games against teams that are in the top eight, like right now? And they've not really had a whole lot of games against the bottom feeders. You know, they've had one against the Pistons. Uh, they've had one against the Jazz. And, you know, that's kind of it. So <laughs> they've really not played a lot of bad teams. So the schedule may have actually been hard. It's just we didn't really anticipate those Magic games being, you know, the Magic being a really good team. Probably didn't really look at the Thunder as being a really good team. Like, both maybe being up-and-coming teams. And so probably didn't think about those as, as games that were as bad as they are. Um, and we did miss Devin Booker in the Suns game. So I think it was, it was Bradley Beal's first game back, and he played like crap. So I think that one is also probably not quite as good. But either way, the, probably the schedule has not been like a cakewalk or anything. It's actually probably been a reasonably difficult schedule in the grand scheme of things uh, compared to what I thought. I guess maybe I would say, if you're going to say one thing, it's been pretty home heavy. So either way, though, at 5-11, and 11, it's hard to get excited about this team in the future. And, I mean, that was hard maybe before the season started, but it's especially hard now. And I think you're going to start seeing empty seats, not going to be able to sell your Bulls tickets if you're a season ticket holder. And uh, the Bulls are going to start having pressure to make changes. Uh, Billy Donovan is showing up on all the hot seats for firing the coach. Uh, there was a rumor that if the Bulls had not made a comeback against the Heat after the terrible start on Saturday, that Donovan would have been fired after the game. I mean, I don't know. They lost pretty big the next two games, so uh, he's still here, at least unless I missed some news this morning, which always a possibility. 
Um, and so, you know, I don't know that that's true. They just gave us an extension. You know, I criticized the extension in the moment. Like, why are you giving a coach an extension after one year? Just seems crazy. He's got like three years left on his contract. And I don't know how much they added on to this. Probably not a whole lot. But sure seems like a dumb idea. And if you were Michael Reinsdorf and you gave Acme an extension, which was also reported this past May, also seems like a dumb idea. Like, the team was clearly doing really bad. Their plan clearly was a failure. And they clearly don't look great now. So why are you extending them, you know, at that point in time was just kind of crazy. Now, I don't know how their contract works. I get the feeling general manager EVP type contracts are really a lot more year to year. So maybe that extension and those details are never shared, unlike all the player ones. And usually the coach ones kind of come out eventually. But those details weren't really shared. So maybe that was even just an extension for this year, basically. I don't know. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what the Bulls do uh, from a front office standpoint as well. Are they going to make any changes with Donovan? Are they going to make any changes with Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley? So I'm going to discuss first the possibility of Billy Donovan, who's getting a lot of heat from the Bulls fans as well as um, you know, the theoretical articles about how he might be replaced. And so head coaches, in my opinion, always take on a lot more blame and a lot more credit than they deserve. You know, you look at guys, there was a joke, I forget when it was, but it was, it was uh, back when um, Mitchell, God, I can't remember his first name now, won the Coach of the Year with Toronto. And there was like a string of Coaches of the Year, like three or four of them in a row had like got fired the year after they won Coach of the Year. And so did like all these guys forget how to coach? Or is it really like a team has a magical season, everything comes together, we give the coach a lot of credit, give him an award. And then really because they just overachieved, probably got lucky in closed games, probably had whatever stuff just going their way, which is why we felt they overachieved. Everyone thinks, well, they should do even better the next year. But then they just kind of fall back to earth. And then we're like, wow, this guy sucks and we fire him. We saw what could have been done if things were going well and he, whatever. And so coaches don't move the needle all that much. That's why the top paid coaches make less than the mid-level exception. And that's been true for pretty much all time. If you want to look at like coaching salaries relative to player salaries, an elite coach has probably typically been around the mid-level exception for as long as I've kind of tracked. Now, there's some exceptions. I think like Phil Jackson got like $10 million a year or something like that. That was um, Yeah, Phil Jackson probably was an exception. Popovich may have been one for, at different times. But generally speaking, coaching salaries are pegged reasonably closely to that number for the high-end coaches. For the longest time, like elite coach was around $5 million when the MLE was around $5 million. And so if you think about that, the league basically says a coach is probably worth as much as our sixth best player. And the amount of blame we give a coach is just absolutely tremendous. And so I'm going to discuss a little bit about Billy Donovan now. If you've listened to the show before, I wouldn't describe myself as a huge fan of Donovan in the sense of like, I think he's fantastic. I don't think he's Eric Spolster out there. I've described Donovan as like, he belongs. 
He belongs as a head coach. He's a solid head coach. He knows what he's doing. You listen to him in any interview, and he just oozes, knows what he's doing whenever he answers a question. Uh, the players who play with him, outside of maybe Zach Levine, seem to like him, seem to think he's a good coach. You know, a lot of his former players swear by him. So I, whatever, I think Billy Donovan is a very solid head coach. And I've looked at the Bulls coaches before. Every solid head coach we have is followed by two idiots. <laughs> Usually one of them is an interim idiot. So maybe that's not entirely the same. But then sometimes we hire the interim idiot, like Jim Boylan. So if we get rid of Donovan, there's a pretty good chance you're going to jump to an unknown coach who's probably just not that good. Like the odds that you're going to replace Donovan and have things be better are very low because Donovan's not the key problem. The problem is the players. So let's start with this. People have complained a lot about the scheme. Hey, the Bulls aren't moving the ball. Uh, we're running up too slowly. We're doing whatever. You have DeMar and Vooch in your offense. You're not going to play fast with those two guys out there. You're just not. And you also can't play any modern offense based around pace and space with them because neither of them can space the floor and neither of them are fast. And they're both ball-dominant players that hang on to the ball for a super long time and don't let it go. Like when we try to set up Vooch in the post, we usually end up getting the ball into him probably with like 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Spend... Six seconds walking the ball up the court. Another eight seconds letting Vooch establish, establish position and find a good entry pass. And then if he doesn't have the shot, which he frequently doesn't, he passes back out. And if you don't have a shot there, now all of a sudden you're like against the clock. DeMar, when he gets the ball, you know, he just cooks, starts dribbling, 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 tries to get to his spot. And then like he's a willing passer if he gets to his spot and sees someone open or whatever. But he spends a lot of time with the ball in his hand, setting all of that up. And it doesn't really facilitate a lot of other guys moving around. So the, cur the current NBA meta, like the best offense you can have, is kind of like a four or five out scheme. You know, you got either four or five guys on the team who can shoot. They're all spaced out around the three-point line. Maybe one of those guys is your center who's like a rim-running cutter. He's going to set the screen at the top, and then your guard who can penetrate with the ball off that screen is going to try to run in. The center maybe comes in with him. If they double team the guard, you know, the center's got like a lob or you know, some kind of easy finish. If they don't double team the guard, you know, hopefully your guard can win that matchup. And then if you have to do something else, like they bring in other players besides the two directly defending the pick and roll, the other people on the team are all great shooters and can knock down the three-point shot, you get the ball to the open man, swing it around enough times, and whoever gets the open looks shoots. Like, whatever, super high level. <laughs> There's other motions and all this other stuff in there. Like, but super high level, like, that's kind of like what the modern NBA offense looks like. You want to go fast. You want everyone to be able to shoot. You want guys to take the pick-and-roll drive, and you have all your spacers out there. You're not going to clog the paint. You both room. The Bulls can't play that. They tried. Early in the year, they're like, all right, well, we're going to pretend that our guys have all these skills they don't have, and we're going to throw up a lot of threes. And it was awful. Like, it was just awful. They just shot awful. And 
to some degree, some guys just shot worse than they would otherwise shoot. But fundamentally, Pat Williams is going to be one of these guys who isn't high volume because his release is slow. So he kind of struggles in this role if he's not completely wide open, even though theoretically he should be a good fit in it. DeMar can't shoot at all. Vooch can't shoot at all. Zach shot very poorly. Kobe's shot very poorly. Those guys can shoot better. But so the Bulls are just lacking in their ability to do this. And then I like their offense the most when you have Vooch kind of in this role, setting the pick at the top. They've not done that so much. They end up trying to go back to their strengths, which is Vooch wants to be in the basket, occupying space very close to where DeMar occupies space. And the Bulls end up with all these very slow possessions and a lot of stagnation. And you can blame that on the coach if you want to. But really, a lot of it is in the players. And the main problem is the players that it's in are our quote-unquote star players. Vooch and DeMar are not modern NBA players that will fit into a lot of different schemes. And that fundamentally is the problem that the Bulls have. That's not going to be swapped out by getting rid of Billy Donovan. Now, it's okay. I don't care. Like, if we fire Donovan, I'm not going to be sad to see him go. I'm not going to tell you we're going to look back at that moment five years from now and say, what a huge mistake. It's fine. But I also don't think it's going to fix anything. We have so much data that says our quote-unquote big three cannot play together that it's just an elephant in the room. We're bailing out the Titanic with a measuring cup with all these other things. You know, it's like swapping Pat and Torrey Craig in the starting lineup. There's this contingent of like, Billy Donovan is terrible because he won't swap Javon Carter and Kobe White. Look, it's just, that's just those things. I want to see them too. Like I'm not, I would love to see Carter, Craig, and our big three. I think that would be a thing I would try. But my odds of thinking that's successful, very low. I think the, the one thing that would maybe have some hope of fixing this, I think is bringing DeMar off the bench. Or maybe bringing Vooch off the bench. But you got to split up these three guys. <laughs> like, that's the elephant in the room, and they don't want to do it. I understand it. They don't want to do it because of the egos of all these guys. I get why that would be hard to do. But that's the, that's the elephant in the room. These guys cannot play together. And so the other thought is like, well, Benny, Billy Donovan has lost the team. And so I talked earlier about how a guy can be coach of the year, and he's like fired the next year. One of the things is you can be a good coach, but if you lose the team, it's over, right? It's just over. Once you lose the team, it's over. You, you need the team to believe in you. And so has Billy Donovan lost the team? And I would say the answer to that is sort of it depends how you look at it. I don't think Billy Donovan has lost the team so much as continuity and lack of talent has lost the team. I think the team is lost. Like, I don't think the team believes in itself and believes they can win. And they just go out there and do what they do. I don't know that Billy Donovan lost them. And what I mean by that is, I don't think bringing in a new coach is going to find the team. Like, I think these guys are all checked out, regardless of who the coach is. Now, Billy Donovan still doesn't have them. Like, I don't think they believe in Donovan anymore. And you can argue that that's enough reason to fire the coach right away. And I'll get back to what I said. I don't care if we fire Billy Donovan. I just don't expect a new coach to come in and make things any better. If you're going to go into a rebuild, I actually think Donovan is probably a really good coach to lead that effort. Now, does he want to lead that effort? I think maybe not. You know, 
Kind of wanted to leave Oklahoma City for that reason. I bet that feels really dumb right now. <laughs> Maybe that's also enough reason to get rid of Billy Donovan. The fact that he looked at the Oklahoma City Thunder and said, this is a bad situation. I should go to Chicago where it's a much better situation. Like, it was so obvious that the Thunder was going to be a good situation in a couple of years, and whatever, maybe that's just a really long time to be in a bad situation. Um, maybe as a head coach, you're frustrated by developing, like, this developing team, uh, more so than a fan like myself, at least, would be. Like, I, I love watching teams that are young and developing, and you can see the improvement, you know, month over month even, sometimes, as the team gets better. Maybe that's not exciting for Billy Donovan. I'm, I would be thrilled. Like I'm, I manage people. I love watching young, young, talented people who come into my organization improve and get so much better what they're doing. I find that to be a really exciting situation. Anyway, I'm not an NBA head coach, and I could never be one. I have no skill in that area. So <laughs> I left in my notes, which, which secret extension is now stupider? Billy Donovan or Turner's Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley? I'm... Uh, not sure the answer to that question. I, I think ownership, uh, I think that we'll see. It's, we've not really seen a length of time under Michael Reinsdorf. He may feel differently than Jerry Reinsdorf about this. He may be like, yep, gave these guys a chance. They completely blew it. I'm done and get rid of them. There's like some reason to think, you know, like Arturis Karnaschovas is not going to have the same life expectancy of Jerry Krause or John Paxson. Whatever you think of Jerry Krause, he won six titles with the Bulls. There's plenty of reason for Jerry Reinsdorf to be loyal to Jerry Krause. And whatever you think of John Paxson, he won three titles with the Bulls as players. He was an announcer. Uh, he led two successful rebuilds before the third completely failed rebuild. Uh, he had a lot of reason to also receive loyalty from Jerry Reinsdorf. Arturis Karnaschovas has no longevity here. You know, he's someone they brought in. They didn't have, like, this long-standing relationship, like with Paxson, where he was a player and then an announcer and kind of, like, deeply embedded in the org. And then he also had no immediate success. Like, Kraus and Paxson each had a lot of immediate success and really kind of, like, long-sustained success so he doesn't really have those things. They might move on from him a little faster than you would think of. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I want to then spin into the cost of poor negotiations we had. So with Vooch, I said at the time, like, this guy is maybe a mid-level exception type player. Why are we going and basically paying him 360 his market rate? If he doesn't sign with us, is probably not more than three, uh, whatever it was for three years at the mid-level, which was probably around 340. I don't know the exact numbers with the raises. So we just paid him 50% more than his market. And I, I, to be honest, I don't know if anyone would have paid him the mid-level. Like, I don't think anyone would have. I really don't. But we'll never know. But, like, why on day one did you go out there and be like, hey, we're going to pay you 50% more than what we know anyone else will pay you? It just makes no sense whatsoever. There's no reason to do that. 
And now when you think of like the Zach Levine trade, we'll get into that in a minute. The Bulls are right at the tax line. If Vooch made $8 million less this year, one, we could have just signed another player with the rest of our mid-level exception who might help us. Um, and maybe we would or wouldn't have done that. We'd have at least signed another minimum player. But we'd have room to trade one of these guys and actually take back salary. And given that all of the guys we want to trade with, or at least a lot of them, are probably tax teams, that's a pretty big deal. Like, it's going to be hard to construct a trade where the other team can legally do it because they're going to have lower matching rights and all these other problems. And then we will also avoid the tax because the Bulls probably aren't going to pay the tax just to get Zach Levine off the roster. And the same thing is true of Io. And I like Io. You know, I like Io. Like, but we went $7 million a year? Like, it, we were like, a, like, what was it, like three weeks in the free agency before he got signed, something like that? A long time. Like, the money had dried out. We had matching rights on him. Just offer him 312 which still was probably above anything else he could get. And if he wants to take the qualifying offer, okay, go ahead. Take the qualifying offer. You're still restricted next year. There's just no reason to do that. And so I like Io. I used, I believe, the expression last podcast of like, hey, I might love a Toyota Camry. Might be an amazing car. Might serve me well for 20 years. Require little repairs. Just be a great car. Doesn't mean I want to pay 100 grand for it. That's not the market value of the Camry, despite the fact that I might love it and be a great car. And that's kind of, for me, that's how I view, view the IO contract negotiation. Well, I like IO. Good for him to get the money, but really poor asset management. And that, that hurts us now. Both of these things, no matter how much you like them, have left the Bulls in a very thin spot to trade Levine and obviously have cost us bringing another person onto the roster. So we're finally going to get to Zach. I know you're excited. I still have no trade suggestions for you, though it's interesting. The rumor mill has kind of like flipped a little bit. Sacramento has been brought in as a team that wants to trade for win-now talent. Charlotte has been brought in as a team that wants to trade for win-now talent, you know, potentially. So it'll be interesting. that It's kind of the teams we were initially looking at, like the Lakers, the 76ers, the Heat. Uh, maybe it's going to be one of these other teams that's trying to make a step up. Orlando with their hot start could be another team that maybe is like, yeah, we, we could maybe do something here. So we'll see what happens. Um, one thing is, if Zach were traded to the Lakers, I initially had this as December 15th. Correction of the correction podcast. <laughs> Sorry. It's January 15th before he can be traded for the Lakers if Austin Reeves or Rui Hachimara are involved in the trade. So the old base year compensation rules, I love it when they changed the collective bargaining agreement, by the way. It's super exciting for me. Um, sarcasm. The old base year compensation rules were like, if you sign a guy to an extension, he counts 50% for you and 100% for the other team. It was called base year compensation. It was really complicated than to trade these guys. So that's still true if the player is in a sign and trade. Once he's not in a sign-and-trade, that's gone. So with Rui and with Reeves, we don't have to worry about that base year compensation nonsense for matching salary. But what we do have to worry about now is those guys can't be traded until January 15th 
a month after all of the other new signings. And so what makes that rule hit is if they're getting paid 20% more than their last salary and some other minor conditions, and these guys both meet those conditions. So if the Lakers are involved in the trade, Zach's going to be here until January 15th. If it's all these other teams that I just mentioned, I haven't gone through the full list. I was trying to find a list of like all the players that qualified under this base year rule, and I couldn't find a good list of it. So not sure when or not sure who else or whatever is involved. But the Lakers were the one team I thought immediately is going to be a problem. We're still at December 31st for the 76ers if they want to aggregate salaries from the Harden trade. And so the big question that's come out, and Zach sat out last night against Oklahoma City, the big question that came out is like, should we shut down Zach? Are we shutting down Zach? Is that why Zach has missed this game? And so the league implemented new rules this offseason about players resting because they don't want players to rest. And these rules apply to your top three star players. I think it's just like the three highest salary players on the team or they have some, they have some set of criteria um, that they follow. I forget the exact criteria. But as it turns out, for the Bulls, the players that qualify are DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic. So the, the players that you would think uh, that, that would have this, this rule, these are the players it applies to. And so with Zach Levine qualifying for that, it's really dicey whether the Bulls can shut him down based on a trade request. So the rules are uh, only one star player can rest for a game if it's rest. Star players must be available for national TV and in-season tournament games. Teams must balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home versus road with a preference towards uh, for the former. Teams must abstain from long-term shutdowns or a possibility of one when a star player stops playing or plays in a markedly reduced role in situations that could affect the game's integrity. That sounds like the Bulls cannot rest Zach Levine. And healthy players resting for a game must be visible defense. So I'm not sure how, if, if, if like a guy demands a trade and the situation clearly deteriorates and you have something like this, if that is going to be viewed in a different boat. But the way the rule is stated there, Zach Levine would not be able to be shut down. So we'll see what happens. You know, like maybe this foot injury Zach had was legit. You know, he was questioned about it before the game and basically said, yeah, it's legit. I would play through anything. Whatever. I don't know what else you'd expect Zach to say in that situation. It's one of these things where if it's like really legit and someone asks you that question, you'd be super offended because you'd be like, hey, what the hell? Yeah, maybe I want to get traded, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm still out here until that happens. And Zach may feel that way. Like, hey, I'm going to try everything I can to win while I'm here, but I want to be somewhere else. Like that's, if I was in Zach's position, that's how I would be. If I was at a company and I was like, man, I don't know that this company is great for me. If I was working somewhere, anywhere. I would do everything I can for the success of that company while searching for a new job. And then when I found a new job, I would tell them, hey, it's time for me to move on, and that would be it. And so, like, 
I think that's a totally reasonable attitude for like a star performer to have. And I think that absolutely can be Zach's attitude. I don't think it has to be like, F it, I'm just screw everything, whatever. So, you know, maybe this thing with the foot, totally legit. No idea. I'd be super mad if I was Zach. And, you know, like I said, it was, uh, it was legit and people were harassing me about it. Because it's kind of like an attack on your integrity. Um, at the same time, there's <laughs> obviously a lot of smoke there, right? Like you're probable and then you're out. Just seems kind of weird. Now, uh, Zach said probably he'll be back Sunday. You know, we'll see how all of those things happen. But I think that's going to be an interesting situation. We'll see who it is that ends up being interested in Zach. If it is a team like the Lakers or 76ers, we've got a long time to hang on to this thing. If it does turn out to be one of these other teams that emerge, and like they can still talk with the 76ers and Lakers, but if it does turn out to be one of these other teams that emerge out of this thing, then maybe this will happen sooner. I will say this is generally not a great time to try to make these types of trades this early. Teams don't always know who they are or where they are or what they need yet. You get closer to the deadline, and I think, I guess it could go either way. Maybe a team like Orlando falls off, and then they think, like, yeah, we'll just hold on, versus right now they think, yeah, if we could add a piece, maybe this even could be our year, and we could get to the second round or the conference finals. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to say, but I think you'll find teams maybe with a higher level of desperation closer to the deadline. But then that leaves you in a very awkward situation for a longer period of time. I think the one thing I think about with this whole situation is it's frustrating that this demand was made now, and it's worse for everyone. And maybe you could have had this discussion, and maybe it's just impossible to have this discussion and not have it leak. But for the Bulls, for Zach, for everyone involved, it probably would be better if nothing was said. And so Zach was no longer being peppered every game with questions about whether he's really committed. You know, and the Bulls uh, were not trading from a place of weakness necessarily, trying to get something done in the period of the season where there's really not a lot of trade activity. Even holding off like one month and getting to, say, December 15th, and then like being two weeks away from Philly's date and like one month from the Lakers date would have been a much better scenario for everyone involved. And whatever, maybe stuff boiled over, maybe they had the conversation. Just feels like everyone involved would have been better off if they hadn't leaked this out there. Like I don't foresee that helping anyone. Maybe from Zach's perspective, he's so desperate to get out of here, he wanted it leaked to try and force the issue early. Could be. You know, his, his public comments haven't really sounded that way, but that doesn't mean his internal thoughts aren't that way. So maybe that's just what it is. Maybe he just told Clutch, like, hey, I want out. Figure out the best way to make it happen. Left, his, left it with his agents, and his agent said, well, it's going to be uncomfortable for you, but the fastest way to get out of here is for me to apply pressure immediately. You know, that's, that's probably actually what happened. And Zach said, whatever, I can take it. I can throw a no comment out there with the best of them. I can shake my head and deny it all, like, whatever. I don't care if I'm peppered with questions as long as I get out of here two weeks earlier, better for me. I don't know. Maybe that's just what it is. All right, everyone. It is Thursday morning, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Um, thankful for anyone who still listens to this show. I know I've not always been consistent about putting it out there. 
in and out of things. But I really appreciate you all. Appreciate all the people who reach out to me every year just to talk about the Bulls via Twitter, email, Real GM, the ones who come to my draft party, the ones who come to my Bulls game watch parties, just this whole community in general. Um, I started this podcast because no one in my life really liked the Chicago Bulls. And I just love to talk about them. And it's really been a great experience over the last almost 20 years now. It started in 2004. Almost 20 years just getting to know everyone in the Bulls community. And uh, just thank you to you all. Thank you to my fellow podcasters, the other media people I've gotten the chance to meet. It's just been uh, great. And thank you even to the Chicago Bulls organization. has been fantastic to me. You know, they've, they've created this new arm. I, every once in a while I can get free tickets to a game. They, they reach out and they, they offer you know, like some media activity, like you can come to these special events and get VIP treatment. I never have the time to go or do any of it, but it's like so nice that, you know, they're really reaching out and trying to, to be active with the uh, fan communities now. And it's not something that all the teams do. So, you know, really, I think great job by the Chicago Bulls too, of trying to keep even their critical community members engaged and, and whatnot. So thank you. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I'll talk to you guys next week.